Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. be seated. Welcome to Horizon West Church team. Thank you for leading us. I I love the song that we just sang, all the songs we just sang, but I love the song we just sang. It takes us from the the birth of Jesus in the manger at Bethlehem to to the the birth of the church, the the Pentecost moment where the Spirit falls, the resurrection of the dead, and, and so much of what we've been talking about these last several weeks just all baked into one expression of worship to God. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, His name is Jesus. Great to worship him together with you. Uh, Over the last several weeks, what we have been doing is kind of looking forward to what is happening at what's called the end times. And we've talked about tribulation and judgment and rapture and the return of Christ. And today we're coming to the final installment of that series, looking forward. Well, I've reached an age in my life where I spend some time looking backward. Anybody else relate? remembering things that happened years ago. And one of the things I often look back on is pictures and videos of my children when they were younger. Uh, Quick uh, public service announcement to parents of young children, get a lot of those. And and not just the pictures, make sure you get their voice because nothing changes more than their voice and you're going to miss it. That's not the point of my message, but just a public service announcement to you. I was looking through old pictures this week and I came across uh, picture of my youngest son Jonah when he's about two years old. I'm going to throw that up behind me. And uh, to give you some context for this picture, I'm on the roof. I don't know why I was on the roof because I can't fix anything, but for some reason I was, I was up there. And my young son, my toddler son Jonah, sees me and there's this moment, I can see his wheels turning, and then the negotiation begins. Jonah, no, 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 don't, don't, I, I'm up here. I can't really do anything. Do not climb the ladder. But I'll show you the picture for this reason. Since Jonah was born, this little boy has simply wanted to be wherever dad is. John chapter 14, Jesus addresses with the disciples the fact that dad is getting ready to go away. And this is what he says. He says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Today we're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. We will envision together what it will be like when once and for all Jesus has returned to be with us forever and ever. Several years ago, my oldest brother Aaron and his family were visiting Nikki and I. We were newly uh, residents in Orlando, living on, in uh, Metro West. My brother Aaron, his wife Kate, and there at the time, two little girls, Avery and Tess, were coming from this frozen place called Wisconsin to this tropical paradise called Orlando. And Nikki and I got an idea. We thought, how cool would it be to gift my brother and his family Disney tickets? Now, we had no expectation of paying for those tickets, so we asked a friend, can you get my family into Disney? Those of you that work for Disney, you get this all the time, and I apologize. 
We were new. We didn't understand. And so the answer was yes. We got four tickets. And I came up with a plan between my brother and I and our wives. And we said, hey, let's make this moment where Nikki and I reveal to these young girls, they were two and three at the time, Tess and Avery, that they're going to Disney World. And we're going to capture it on video. It's going to be this like viral moment. It's going to be wonderful. My sister-in-law turns the video on and I get low and I say, hey, Avery and Tess, guess what? I reach into my back pocket. I say, you're going to Disney World. And they go, <laughs> there was no moment. Like, they didn't know what I was talking about. I might, have, might as well have told them they were going to the intergalactic space station. They had no context for what Disney World was. Apparently, uh, their, their frozen childhood in Wisconsin had not yet intersected with the magical pixie dust of Disney, and I didn't know that. And the moment was ruined. And I think when we talk about heaven, that sometimes people look at us like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, we might have some idea of what we think we're talking about, but there's no clear picture. What does it look like to be in heaven? And it's hard to be excited about something that you don't understand. So today, we're going to talk a lot at the head level about what heaven will be like, and, and I want to debunk some myths or, or some misconceptions about heaven. But my purpose is not just to inform you. I want your heart to begin to long for it. I want you to leave this morning, have an eager expectation for a place called heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5 say this. John, writing the revelation of Jesus, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And the one who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The truth is, there is something worse than having no picture of heaven, and that is to have a deeply flawed picture of heaven. And unfortunately, there's very few people in our world that have no concept of it. Most of us have what I would call a deeply flawed, a deeply misunderstood idea of what heaven is. And so we're going to try to put a corrective lens on today to give us the eagerness that we desire to have for that day. Four misconceptions. Number one, heaven is a place I go to when I die. I want to, for a second, break down some terms so that we know clearly what we're talking about when we talk about heaven. So in, in biblical terms, the heavens, plural, is simply a reference to the sky or skies. You might remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is not the moment that God's creating heaven as we think about it. He's creating the earth, the sea, and the sky, and the heavens represent the sky. What seems to have happened is that in ancient thinking, it went something like this. God to the Israelites, or the gods to the other cultures, can't exist on the earth because the earth is dirty and corrupt and broken. Therefore, God or the gods must exist where? In the sky, in the heavens. So they appropriated that term heavens to refer to a place where God dwells. 
And then Jesus comes along in the Gospel of Matthew and he uses a new expression. He says the kingdom of heaven is now at hand. What Jesus is referring to is the presence and reigning power of God on earth and into all of eternity, and it was inaugurated at the coming of Jesus. The problem is that that kingdom came as a seed not yet fully matured, and so Jesus would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed planted in the ground. It's small now, but one day even the birds of the air will nest in its branches. In other words, the kingdom of heaven will over time and one day uh, culminate in the overcoming of the kingdom of darkness, and that will become what we call heaven. Are you guys still with me? So, so heaven singular is what we're going to mostly talk about today, and this refers to the fully restored creation, the heavens and the earth, fully restored in uncorrupted relationship with God and each other. One other term I need you to hear, because you heard it in Revelation 21, New Jerusalem. This idea of the New Jerusalem is not heaven, but it is a special city within heaven. So, so some of you, you think about heaven with, you know, golden streets and, and pearly gates and, and the river of life in the middle. All of that seems to be indicative of what the New Jerusalem is, but the New Jerusalem is a part of heaven. It is not the whole. There is a lot more going on that is heaven. And it might interest you to see that in Revelation 21, it says that that new Jerusalem is coming from heaven, descending onto earth. The reason is that heaven is coming to earth. It is not some otherworldly place. It's not some distant, you know, uh, uh, other universe that exists. It's rather the earth and the heavens being restored into God's good design. This means, friends, that heaven will include all that is good about our earth, including coffee and watermelon and elephants and golden doodles and perhaps cats, but I'm not real clear yet on that biblically. (laughs) It'll have mountains and rivers, cliffs and canyons, radiant colors, cool breezes, life-giving conversations. Heaven will be all that is good and better than what we know of earth but without anything that is bad or corruptible. Revelation 21 tells us a few things that won't be welcomed in heaven. Sorrow, it uses the terms tears and mourning and crying. It says it's not going to be there. Pain will not be there. Death will not be there. You don't need to raise your hands, but my guess is in a room like this and with others watching online, some of you at this present time are really well acquainted with sorrow and tears and pain and perhaps even the death of a loved one. And the good news is, none of that will be in God's restored creation that we call heaven. There's another quick note that I want to make about the sea, because some of you can't imagine the heaven without the ocean, and you might have seen that it says that the sea is no more, and you're going, I'm not sure I want to be there. Because for some of you, that is heaven, right? Go to the ocean, lay on the beach, But you need to understand again that the writers of Scripture understood the sea to mean death and and tumultuousness. Like this was not like the ocean waves lapping on the shore. Uh, In fact, in one place in Revelation, it says the sea gives up the dead that are in it because to cross the sea on a voyage in ancient times was perilous. It represented danger. It says the sea is not there. But we do know there are vast, expansive, beautiful bodies of water, including the river of life, So, ladies, you can lay on the beach and enjoy heaven that way, all right? 
Here's another misconception. Heaven is a never-ending worship service. Some of you were led to believe this and you got a picture of heaven. You can just nod if you're with me. That when you get to heaven, you're given like a 10 by 10 cloud and your own personal harp that somehow you magically know how to play all of a sudden. And for all of eternity, you're singing. And for some of you, you go, that doesn't sound like heaven. I'm with you. Not only do I not want to sing for all of eternity, I really don't want to hear some of you singing anywhere near me for even five minutes. And so, so but this is built on a, a myth that has taken root in the church. And the myth goes like this. Wor- a worship is music, right? So every church has a, a worship guy. We've got one, our worship pastor, Socrates. Praise God for him. He does a lot more than music, but of course, you're expecting at least a significant part of the role of a worship pastor to be musical. We say music, worship. Worship is something much more than music and singing. In fact, if you were to put all of the ways you can glorify God out on a table, music and worship would be a way, but certainly not the way. It's much more than that. And in fact, let me take it one step further. If I'm reading the New Testament right, the way that we glorify God is shown more so in the way we relate with each other than the way we relate with him. So people go, well, well, I I worship God and I read my Bible and I do, but if you treat your siblings, your neighbors, your spouse, if you treat other people with disdain, Jesus says, actually, I don't get any glory from your life. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of like the I have a dream speech of the New Testament, he said, if you are leaving your gift for God on the altar and you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. So heaven will not simply be this vertical expression of singing worship to God that will be part of it, but it will also be a beautiful expression of community between brothers and sisters living in harmony forever and ever. As a dad, there are few things that I get more enjoyment out of than seeing my children play cooperatively together. It does happen from time to time, and I love it. When I'm just sitting on the couch, or I'm just sitting at the counter with a cup of coffee, and they're playing a game together, and they're encouraging each other, and they're giggling, and they're telling stories, and I just sit there with a huge smile on my face watching my children enjoy the life that God has blessed them with. And what I don't do in those moments is barge in, disrupt their play, and go, hey, acknowledge that I'm in the room. They know I'm there. And they love me. And every once in a while, one of them will turn and say, hey, I love you, Dad. Or they'll draw a picture for me or they'll throw their arms around me and I receive it. But we paint this picture of God like he's this overbearing parent that just needs us to, for all of eternity, just lay on our face and worship him. And it's not the life you were created for only. He created you for relationship. In heaven, you will enjoy relationship unbroken with other people. Dallas Willard, the great theologian of the 20th century, said it this way, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. Now, a quick aside, Dallas Willard was not a universalist, and he's not using the term all-inclusive to mean every person ever created. He's saying that once we're in heaven, the community of the redeemed will be an all-inclusive community. There will be no first class, second class. 
There will be no distinctions between who's the insider and the outsider. We are all together as brothers and sisters, worshiping and serving and loving together. And so heaven will be an experience of glorifying God through both vertical and horizontal experiences of the goodness and the greatness of God. Another misconception, heaven is a spiritual experience. Our movies and our TV shows have not helped us out here because most depict heaven as this ethereal kind of otherworldly place where somebody's walking on clouds toward a bright light, just them and God, and it's kind of like this out-of-body experience. And that's not how scripture represents heaven. The, The truth is, the Bible depicts heaven as a fully embodied experience, and we will be there more fully human, not less. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we await from there a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Scripture teaches plainly that our human bodies will not be done away with, will not be discarded, rather they will be transformed into what is known as the heavenly or the glorified body that we have for all of eternity. And Paul links this glorified body with the glorified body or the resurrected body of Jesus, which means if you want to know something of what your body in heaven will be like, you can look at what the resurrected body of Jesus looked like. Did you know that Jesus ate food and drank with the disciples? Did you know that Jesus walked with a pair of disciples on a road to Emmaus? Did you know Jesus interacted and communicated with disciples and all of them understood him to be human? Now, interestingly, they didn't all immediately recognize him. Some of you have had this experience. Somebody from your past and you see him and they've had some like really positive uh, body transformation You may have seen the other as well, and we're not hating here, but when you see somebody's body, that you know them, but it takes you a minute. You go, oh! And people, strangely enough, they had this experience with Jesus. But it was the body of Jesus, resurrected, physical, and glorified in the image of how he was intended to be. And so, so you see Jesus doing this. Now, some of you go, but didn't Jesus pass through walls? The Bible doesn't say that he did. This concept came because it won, in one place, I think it's John chapter 20, it says that the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, and Jesus was among them. Now, I don't know how Jesus got in there. Maybe he passed through a wall, but we don't know that for sure. But we do know it was a fully physical body. In fact, so fully physical that when one of the disciples, Thomas, doubted that he had truly been resurrected, he said, Thomas, put your hands in my scars, feel my side, the physical body, containing the scars that he had in his earthly body. This is mind-blowing. But it means that even into all of eternity, the glorified body of Jesus will contain the scars of the cross that he took for us. So again, not a discarded body and then you enter as a spirit, but your physical earthly body is transformed to be like the resurrected body of Jesus for all of eternity. This also means that whatever distinctions you have as a physical human being here and now, you will also have an eternity. If you're a man, you will be a man in heaven. If you're a woman, you'll be a woman in heaven. 
If you are black or white or of Korean or Pakistani or Indian or Jamaican or Haitian or Venezuelan or Brazilian or Puerto Rican descent, you will bear that ethnicity into all of, all of eternity to the glory of God. Our distinctions are not an accident of biology. They are part of God's good purpose and design for humanity. And I know this because in Revelation chapter 7, John looks and sees an image in heaven and he goes, oh, there's people from every tribe and nation and language. How does he know that? Because he's seeing physical human beings in their resurrected bodies bearing the distinctions that make them unique and it doesn't divide them. They come together under the banner of the gospel of Jesus. Revelation 7 is one of the templates that we use, the primary template that we use to build Horizon West Church. What would it be like to look like that? Every nation, every tribe, every language, not checking it at the door. Oh, I gotta, I gotta check my ethnicity. That's why we invite that. We say, come together because we're practicing for heaven. I did this in the first service too. I, I get preaching and I lose my notes. And so give me just a second. Here, here's how Shane Morris talks about this. He says, in his mysterious and wonderful way, God is going to raise our bodies to life, not as replacements for the old, but as mature and glorified forms of the old. Here's the summary of point number three. Heaven will be a fully embodied experience in which we see, hear, taste, smell, touch to the absolute fullest and without sickness, injury, or deterioration of any kind. Your bodies are not bad. Your bodies are good created along with your soul in the image of God, the problem is your body is limited and it's wearing out and your new body will never do that. It will never experience the limitations. You won't get out of bed and your back is creaking and your knees hurt, right? Like it's as it was intended to be forever and ever. Fully physical, fully alive. Let me go to one more misconception and this is the one that's gonna get me in trouble. So I'll just put that caveat out there to begin with. One misconception, or the last one we'll look at today, heaven is perfect. Now, before you call for my seminary degree to be returned or my ordination to be revoked and nullified, um, let me explain what I mean by that. The word perfect in our language conveys two concepts that are not true of heaven. Let me deal with the first one. Heaven will not be a, a sterile or a static environment. Like, like you're not going to show up and just everything's just like, like angels singing and it's clean and it's shiny and we just kind of exist in this perfect environment. Recall that in Genesis chapter 1, in God's initial creation, which is the foreshadowing of his final restored creation, he never uses the word perfect. Do you remember the word he uses? At the end of every day of creation, it is what? It is good. And heaven will be good. But, but this sense of, of completion, like everything is just kind of sterilely crafted and we just kind of enter it, that is not a biblical notion. In the garden, God gave the man and woman a mandate. He said, go out into the world, reproduce, cultivate, subdue the earth, have dominion over it, care for it. So in heaven, similarly, things will be growing. Grass will have to be cut, but it'll be a pleasure to do it. Things will have to be cared for. We'll be able to create We'll be able to use our God-giving wiring to, to, to make heaven partly what heaven is. We'll cooperate with God in the endeavor. It is not a sterile or static environment. You uh, intuitively sense this because by day six of vacation, most of you are ready to get back to work, right? It's not because you're fallen. 
It's because you were created in the image of God to work, and you will work into all of eternity. What will go away is the humidity (laughs) and the love bugs and the thorns. Redemptive work is good, and you will work into redeeming ways in the unique gifting God has given you for all of eternity. So it's not sterile, not static. And the second reason I say heaven isn't perfect is for this reason— Heaven is not where you get everything you want. We tell this to kids. We're like, heaven is just like having chocolate for every meal. And then we get to be about 14 and we're like, actually, I get sick when I eat chocolate for every meal. Like, I wasn't made for that. We were made for variety and diversity. And heaven is not the place where everything starts to bend and cater to my will. Here's the problem. The basic understanding many of us have about heaven is this. That right now I serve other people and I deny myself certain pleasures so that when I get to heaven, I can get an elevated status and I'm, I'm kind of served and catered to. And we'll even use scripture to defend the idea. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus says, whoever wants to be greatest among you will be your servant. And so our fallen human minds go, okay, so if I'm, if I'm serving now, then I get to be great there. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is teaching us what life in the kingdom of God looks like and how it works. It's not that everything flips. It's as you practice serving and humbling yourself, you're becoming the kind of person who's going to get to heaven and enjoy it. Because in heaven, the greatest serve. And I know, and and please, if if you hear this heretically, you've misunderstood what I'm saying, but I want to be careful. Yes, we see Jesus pictured on the throne. Yes, we see Jesus receiving worship. But I am fully confident that we will also see Jesus washing the feet of saints and serving and loving and encouraging and being part of the community because that's the character of God. Do you understand? And we go, oh, you're saying Jesus. No, no, no. That is greatness in the kingdom. Does this make sense? I want to be careful here. But, but we operate as if we were working by the same kind of laws of the sin nature and self-exaltation. And oh, okay, so no, no, no. Jesus is changing the way that we understand the kingdom. He's preparing us for the way it works there. We serve each other. We love and extend kindness to each other in this mutual kingdom of benefit. And so, Heaven will be an eternal experience of God's good creation in which we partner with God and others in dynamic work and life-giving service to the glory of God. I have used a lot of words today, and I have used a lot of words over the last several weeks. Um, This is how I want to close our message and kind of close our series. I believe that no matter where you are coming from, no matter what your current belief system is, Whether you believe in God or you don't, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you are not, whether you have longed for heaven or you've never really thought twice about it, I believe every person longs for the kind of experience that heaven will be. And I can show you this by saying that every time you go, well, it's just not right, that's not just That's not fair. Why do I feel this way? Why am I sick? Why aren't things the way they're supposed to be? We're evidencing the fact that we know we were longing for and created for something better. This is how C.S. Lewis said it. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation 
is that I was made for another world. The reason you thirst is because there's water. The reason you hunger is because there's food. The reason you long for relationship is because there are people. The reason you long for heaven is because there's heaven. And this is my picture, and if it works for you, work it, and if it doesn't, that's okay. But I am fully confident that there will come a day, whether it's Jesus returning for his bride or whether through death, and I get to the door of heaven, and Jesus welcomes me. And for the first time, I'm physically embracing the one I have lived for, the one who created me, the one who saved me, and he's got a huge smile on my face, uh, on his face rather. He doesn't have the judge's gavel. He's saying, this one's redeemed by my blood. This one's mine. And then I think he's going to say this. Hey, Chris, let me show you something. And I picture walking over to a small group of people who have gathered together. And my Papa Jack, my Uncle Dan, my mom, and my beautiful nephew, Aiden, they've already started the family reunion. And they run up and they embrace me. Another one's come home. And for all of eternity, those that I love, those that I have missed, those that I wished to be reunited with, we're finally together. And Jesus is happy. It's finally happened. The world he set out to create, the world he set out to redeem, the kingdom he sought to bring is finally here. And we call it heaven. So where does Jesus fit into all of this? Because it's a lot more than just a place where does Jesus fit? And I would tell you this. Jesus is the guide that leads us to that door of heaven. He is also the key that opens the door. He is the door itself through which we enter, and he is the one waiting for us on the other side. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, you don't understand heaven. And as much as we will celebrate and enjoy all the good things we've talked about in this message today and all the good things we imagine, I do believe and know to be true that the thing you will enjoy the most, the thing that will satisfy you the greatest, is that Jesus is there. The one your heart has longed for, the one who has saved you, is there. I want to close with a passage in Revelation 22, some of the final verses in all of the Bible. Revelation 22, verses 16 through 17, these words, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is where we're going, church. We're going to see the one who saved us. And so I want you to stand. We're going to close with a song we've sung earlier in the series as well. We're going to ask Jesus, we're ready. Come and get your bride. Take us and let us be with you in heaven. Let's sing together. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.